If SMU joined the Pac-12, would that change how you feel about the Iron Skillet? We'll talk about that next on Lockdown Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked on Horn Frogs, you can subscribe on YouTube. Also, get it wherever you get your favorite podcast in its audio form. I am your host, Stephen Simcox. Uh, appreciate you joining us this afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening. Um, so, some news came down on Tuesday night that was sort of, I mean, it's, it wasn't completely TCU-related, but I think it can turn into a, a fascinating discussion topic. So, Brett McMurphy, um, who writes for the Action Network, he said on Twitter, Pac-12 commission George Kalikoff is, is visiting SMU today, according to sources, um, and San Diego State and SMU are the top Pac-12 expansion candidates. Pac-12 needs more members and more inventory for a new media rights deal, which is expected to rely heavily on digital streaming services. So there's a lot of moving parts to this. One is um, USC, UCLA are, are moving on, and so the Pac-12 is in the same situation the Big 12 was in a few years ago when Texas and OU, it, it was announced they were moving on. Now they're looking to expand, right? And so the Big 12 went and got BYU, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, which will be joining the conference this year. And now the Pac-12 is looking for schools that would fit, um, you know, within their brand to replace what they've lost. Boise State's come up. San Diego State's come up. SMU, I hadn't heard their name a ton, but it sounds like they're right there in the mix. They're the, the top priority along with San Diego State for the Pac-12 and their expansion. And so on one end, I think you're, you're seeing a league in the Pac-12 that while publicly they're still trying to project that they have strength, um, I think especially the fact that they're going to SMU and pitching this shows that this is a league that's pretty desperate in the moment. You know, this is not like obviously – the Big 12 added some group of five teams, right? But BYU has a pretty singular brand. They have a large fan base. It's connected with the Church Live Day Saints. Cincinnati is a group of five team that broke through and made the playoff. UCF had a really nice season, had a really good couple years with coaches like Scott Frost and Josh Heupel. Um, Houston has some history there. They have a footprint there in the state of Texas. SMU is uh, a school that is very small. Um, the facilities are not great. You know, the stadium's kind of like a, a high school venue in some ways. And they, they don't regularly sell out. They sold out last year in the Sunny Dykes Revenge game, which they promptly lost to TCU. And um, while they had some good moments during the Sunny Dykes era, namely beating TCU twice, it was still a team that kind of topped out between eight and ten wins. But I, I understand really what the Pac-12 is doing here. As Murphy spelled it out, they need inventory. They need games. They need teams that can play games. They can sell that to TV networks and say, hey, we uh, we have content for you. And so they're trying to get more teams so they can sell more games. Um, also, they'll say that SMU gives them, you know, a footprint in the state of Texas. It gives them a footprint in the Metroplex, which to a certain extent, I guess, is true. But I think we all understand SMU, as much as they want to be this, they're, they're not a school that's synonymous with the city of Dallas. They're in Dallas. They're in Highland Park. But Dallas is a pro sports town. 
Um, if SMU gets to a place where they're really good, I'm sure people will jump on the bandwagon. But they don't have a huge connection with the city at the moment. Now, they do have wealthy alumni, deep pockets. There's, I mean, I mean, there's some reasons there to go that route. But I, I think ultimately this is a league that's desperately trying to stay alive and just adding teams for the sake of adding content, adding games, trying to up this TV deal. Um, I imagine, and some people have speculated this, that they might add these two schools and propose some sort of unequal revenue sharing to give their current members more money and to either try to top the Big 12 or get close to the Big 12 to keep everybody happy. So there's some different aspects of this that we can explore later in the week. I think this in some ways opens up the Pac-12 you know, to be poached, which is something we haven't talked about as much in the last few months because it seemed like there was some stability there. Um, my question, though, and you can hit me up in the comments here on YouTube. You can do this uh, on Twitter at some Steven at Locked on TCU. And I saw uh, Throwback Frog, who's a, you know, a, a Twitter account that follows TCU and makes TCU content. He threw this out there last night as well. If SMU is suddenly a Pac-12 power five, a Pac-12 team, if that's a power five opponent, does that change how you view the Iron Skillet rivalry? Because I know there are a lot of people that want to discontinue this game with SMU. I'm one of the few that likes the history, that likes continuing it. But I understand the points that people make by saying, hey, this game doesn't really do anything for TCU. If they win, it's a game on their schedule that they should win. It's not something that's going to move the needle for them from a national perception standpoint, from a resume standpoint, if we're talking about the college football playoff and beyond. Um, If you lose, then it's an embarrassing loss. And I think, you know, in 2019 and 2021, we saw the consequences of losing a game like that, that SMU was so amped up to play, it it really, you know, it, it didn't just hurt TCU in that individual week. Like, I think it kind of permeated throughout the whole season. And there was a lot of turmoil going on there at the end of the Gary Patterson era, of course, as well. But I think especially in 2021, that was a team that GP said had a ton of chemistry, good vibes there, right? And then they they get punked by SMU at home, and all of a sudden, everything sort of turns on a dime. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's those issues at play as well. And so it's sort of a lose-lose situation for TCU in a lot of ways, beyond the fact that it's it's a historical rivalry, a game that's that's cool because of the regional ties, because of the Southwest Conference history. Some of the, you know, alumni that have been around for, for a longer time or went to school in the 70s and 80s and 90s, I understand why they would have an attachment to that game. I have somewhat of an attachment to the game, but if TCU decided to discontinue it, I wouldn't be, like, up in arms about it. But I'm curious. If that suddenly becomes a Power 5 opponent, does your, does your idea – of that rivalry change. And I think it's also interesting because TCU is going to schedule a P5 team every year, right? And so if SMU becomes that, then do you change how you schedule games? Are you not going to go play a Colorado now? Are you going to find another opponent? Colorado is just one example. Um, you know, Utah, whoever it might be, are you going to not play those teams because you already have SMU on the schedule? And I understand a lot of people don't like going to Dallas because that, you know, the, the facilities there are not great. I get it. Um, and, and the home and home back and forth, that's something that TCU should probably push to stop. But it's been a big part of the rivalry for a long time. I could see, though, and, of course, some of this also depends on what does the Pac-12 look like in four or five years. Is SMU part of a Power 5 conference, quote-unquote? Now – 
you know, there, there's two levels to this. One is the competitive standpoint. I think really regardless of what happens with Pac-12, as long as it doesn't completely implode, there's still going to be a conference that has an automatic bid to the expanded 12-team playoff, okay? And then there's also just the revenue and sharing and money part of it, um, which is where we'll see the disparity in my mind because SEC, Big Ten, and sort of everybody else trying to get the best they can for their membership. But SMU possibly moving to the Pac-12, is this something that could extend the Iron Scout rivalry? Does it change your perception of that game? If SMU gets to a Power 5 conference and starts investing more in their program and what they want to do moving forward, is it a game that's worthwhile for TCU to play? I'd love to hear from you in the comments on YouTube. Also, you can hit me up at SimcockSteven on Twitter. It's my personal account, at LockedOnTCU is the show account. When we come back, the losses continue to pile up for TCU basketball um, in the absence of Mike Miles. We'll talk about that next. Before we do that, though, FanDuel, one of our new sponsors, um, Super Bowl this Sunday, right? A lot of prop bets, a lot of different opportunities to get involved in the wagering world. Uh, FanDuel is the official betting partner of the National Football League, and we're excited that they're here on the Locked On Network because they're the number one sports book in America. And if you're a new customer, you can join today and get $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Again, that's $5 for $150 value. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads and player props. Plus, you can combine your bets for a bigger chance and a bigger payout with the same game parlay. And it's all on an app that's safe, super easy to use, and most importantly, it's secure. FanDuel, again, we're, we're happy that they're with us, the official betting partner of the NFL. Football fans, don't miss out. $5 of bets get you $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel. They're the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Okay, segment two here on Locked On Horn Frogs. So, uh, TCU basketball goes on the road last night to Manhattan, Kansas. They drop a game to Kansas State, and it was a strange basketball game. The final score was 82-61. They end up losing by 21. It was a six-point game with about four minutes left. And the Frogs, they, they kind of, you know, stayed at arm's length all night long. You know, they never led. Um, Kansas State had a lead typically between, like, it got as high as, you know, 17, 18 points. But it would mainly stay between like six and 11 points. And occasionally TCU would make a run. They had a couple opportunities in the first half to tie the game or cut it to a one possession game. And then K-State would come back and go on a run, had an opportunity early in the second half where they cut the lead to two. And then K-State ends up going on a six, nothing run after that and pushes it back to eight, you know, sort of fought back in, in the middle of that second half. But again, K-State goes on a crazy run in the basketball game and wins by double digits, ends up winning by 20-plus. And so disappointing loss for the Frogs. Biggest issue last night was turnovers. Um, just unacceptable. Did not take care of the basketball. 19 turnovers, and a lot of them were unforced errors, just bad passes, not getting great looks. Now, Eddie Lampkin returned last night. He played 18 minutes. He didn't score any points. He had one good look that he missed, a little bunny near the rim. Um, and I mean, he looked, he looked healthy enough. He didn't look like he was, he wasn't laboring as much as he did against West Virginia, but you could just tell it, it was tough. Like he's still trying to get in a rhythm. He didn't have that explosion that he typically does getting up and down the floor. And again, TCU got beat on the boards, got out rebounded 27 to 22 rough shooting, night, especially from three point range, three of 17 on the night, only 17% 
from beyond the arc. I mean, played decent defense for most of the game um, against K-State team that's that's known to score. Did a nice job against Keontae Johnson. He had a, a quiet night for him, only 14 points. Four of those points came from the free throw line. Marquise Newell led the way with 18 points. But I didn't think defense was as much of an issue for the Frogs last night as it was just the fact that they – you know, we're sloppy in the half court, had those turnovers, and again, just really struggling to find guys who can create shots and get good looks consistently in half court sets without Mike Miles on the floor. Damian Ball ended up with 16 points, but had a really quiet first half. He was efficient from the field, 6 of 10, but it wasn't his best basketball game. Uh, Shahade Wells was, was really non-existent from a scoring standpoint, only two points on the day. Um, Chuck O'Bannon continues to struggle shooting the basketball. Micah Peavy had a nice night, 11 points, 4 of 10 from the field. He's a better shooter this year. He's still a good defender. Um, he's been, you know, a plus for them on both sides of the ball, but it just hasn't been enough. Here, here's the problem. You're 6-5 and five now in Big 12 play. And Jacob Langford commented on YouTube yesterday, and he said, listen, this, this team's got to wake up because they're starting to let things slip. They're starting to let a season slip away. Now, they're still firmly in the tournament. Um, the Big 12 championship hopes, if you had those, I think they're completely gone as of last night, even in a league with a lot of parity. At this point, I think you can afford to maybe lose one more game and stay in the hunt. But most likely, I, I still think the team that wins this league is going to finish 13-5 and five or 12-6, and six, which means you basically have to run the table from here on out, which I don't see them doing even at full strength. But if Mike Miles comes back Saturday, that's significant. I don't know if he's going to be able to play a full, you know, 35 minutes like he typically would. I think they're probably going to have to work him back a little bit. But they get Baylor at home. Baylor's playing really well right now. Um, it, it's a tough task. You, you really got to find a way to win that game. Because if you finish, if you get to six and six and that schedule gets tougher and you only got six conference games left, I mean, you you can definitely finish with nine or ten wins in conference play, and that's a respectable season. But then you're probably talking about a seven seed, maybe an eight seed, even with as respected and as good as the Big 12 is. I just don't think you can continue to drop these games and find yourself in a really desirable position, um, you know, when March comes around. So the losses are explainable, right? Um, and, and I know there's people that are like, man, when this team's humming and when they're at their peak – they're really dangerous, and I'd agree with that. I would just say we haven't seen that very often. We saw it, I think, against Kansas and Fog Allen Fieldhouse. We saw it at home against Oklahoma, and that's really been it. I mean, for the most part, they've come up with some tough wins in conference play that have been significant, but dropping some of those games early in conference when they were at full strength and they you know, they should have found a way to, held on, to hold on, it seems like Iowa State and Texas, and then the, this rough stretch they've been in since the injuries – has really kind of changed expectations for them as far as putting them out of Big 12 championship contention and, you know, moving forward. What does that look like? Um, when we come back, we'll wrap things up. This is Locked on Horn Frogs. It's your team every day. Okay, so I mentioned this yesterday, but TCU baseball, they're going to start their season a week from Friday. And I'm really fascinated to see what this opening weekend rotation looks like because there's – there's some exciting potential here, but you have a lot of unproven guys. Cam Brown, I feel like he's going to be most likely your Friday or Saturday starter. And we saw at his peak what Cam Brown could be for TCU baseball. He's, he's got special stuff, really powerful, you know, thrower, um, electric fastball, good breaking ball. Walked a lot of people last year. 
And that was the biggest thing. Just couldn't really settle in and find his rhythm at times. But, I mean, man, he was – when he was on, you saw what this coaching staff and this team loved so much about him at a 4.42 ERA in 2022 and uh, 13 appearances throughout the year. And then the other guy to know is a transfer player, Ryan Vanderhei from Kansas. And um, I've been kind of confused about the 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 – excitement for him. I know he's got good stuff and in fall ball, he threw really well. And apparently he's got a, a fastball that sits in the mid to, to upper nineties. Um, he had a tough year at Kansas last year. Had an ERA over six. If you remember that series and Lawrence, TCU's bats just absolutely obliterated that Kansas pitching staff. But I, I think people are just banking on this as a, a guy with good stuff. He's still relatively young, comes into a place like TC where they can develop pitchers and should be in good shape. Um, and so we'll see. Those are sort of your one-two. I think this lineup's going to be really good. You know, Braden Taylor, Curtis Byrne, guys in the middle, you have dudes that can set the table like Elijah Nunez, Austin Davis, Trey Richardson. Um, you have some players who hopefully can excel at the bottom of the lineup like Luke Boyers, maybe, you know, uh, Logan Maxwell, if he can come along this year. Um, and so there's there's a lot of potential with this baseball team. I'm excited to see how it plays out. Also, we'll have more on this sort of SMU Pac-12 rumor what does that mean for the Big 12 moving forward? We'll touch on all that throughout the rest of the week. This is Locked on Horn Frogs. Again, it's your.